Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Well, here's uh, what I think is a very powerful and motivating question. Uh, it's the question, why? Uh, always ask, I don't know whether you've been told this, always ask why? That's a very helpful question, it's very powerful, it's very motivating. Uh, But it can get rather annoying, have you noticed, when people keep asking why. Um, So do it respectfully uh, and don't be annoying. But have you ever noticed, um, have you ever come across a kid who just keeps asking why? You know that kid who just cannot help themselves and their mum or their dad is trying to uh, have patience with them? Um, I do remember those days. Um, I was heading out to a shopping centre uh, and I, my strategy with shopping centres is to park the car uh, in a spot that will minimise the damage to my car. Uh, and it, from the back seat, it could have been one of my nieces or nephews, one of my girls when they were much younger. Uh, why are we parking here? Uh, so the car won't get scratched, but Why? Uh, because we're trying to keep it looking good. Why? Um, so we can get a good price for it when we sell it. Why? Because I'm trying to keep up with the rest of church. <laughs> Why? Because I'm deeply competitive and insecure as a person <laughs> who cares too much about my car. Why is that? Well, because Jesus hasn't finished with me. But that's the kind of conversation, it kind of gets to the, the nut, nutshell of things, doesn't it? What's going on? It's very powerful, very motivating. And God is sympathetic to our need to know why. Uh, there's lot, lots of what in the Bible, uh, what God has done for us, uh, what he calls us to do in response. But there's also those parts that talk about why. Uh, so t- tonight's one of those passages, lots of what lots of what to do, uh, particularly if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian. But I want you to notice God gives us the why, a very powerful why tonight. And it's in the logic of the passage. Um, so have a look with me. Titus chapter 2, open it up um, from verses 1 to 10. And you'll notice off the bat the word doctrine uh, in, in verse 1. Doctrine is the truth that God's given us in the Bible, in the Scriptures. And why has he given us doctrine? Verse 2, it's so that it can be taught, so someone can teach it. Uh, Why is someone to teach it? Well, it's so that people can live it. Uh, That starts in verse 3. We'll we'll spend a fair bit of time in those verses. Um, Why live the truth? Well, it's because your life's going to be radically changed. And verse 10, your life will 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 mean others are attracted to the Lord Jesus. And bring glory to God uh, as, as we should. And so, do you get that logic? It's very powerful logic. Uh, the truth has been given to us uh, from God in the Bible. It's vitally important we get that right. It's given to us so that it might be taught. Uh, it's taught so that our lives might be changed. Our lives are changed so that people will be attracted to the Lord Jesus uh, for their good and for God's glory very powerful sequence. Uh, It's as we 
receive truth from God, we unpack it, understand it, uh, that we will teach it, be changed, bring glory to God, people will come to know Jesus. Uh, it, it's powerful because there's how God grows his church. Uh, that's why doctrine is so important. Uh, that's why we need to take these verses particularly uh, seriously as we think about instructions for us as a church family. Uh, now, you'll notice that it's where the false teachers went wrong, uh, disastrously wrong. We saw that last week. Uh, they're the very opposite, aren't they? Their doctrine is corrupted. Their teaching is false. Uh, what's that leading to? Ungod- ungodly lives in them and their hearers. Uh, therefore, they're condemned by God. They're destroying the church. And Paul says to Titus, I want you to do the very opposite of that. Uh, and it all starts in verse 1 with sound or healthy, it's actually the word healthy, teaching or doctrine. Uh, you, however, verse 1, must teach what is appropriate to sound or healthy doctrine. As in other words, uh, Titus, listen very carefully to what God has revealed in the Bible, his truth. Get that right because that is the bedrock for all of church, all of church life. Uh, now, I don't know how you feel about that, but sometimes you hear people say, it's, it's not about the doctrine, it's about Jesus. It's not about doctrine, but it's about love. Uh, by which they mean we, we shouldn't get bogged down in the, in the facts, in the details about Jesus uh, or any other teaching. Let's just talk about Jesus, let's just talk about love. Which, of course, is very compelling, isn't it, for people who don't want to think very much. Uh, don't want to delve very deeply and it's actually very uh, naive and very dangerous. It's a bit like saying, uh, let's not worry about road rules or driving on the left or traffic lights, let's just drive. How does that work? That's stupid, that's naive. Uh, or it's a bit like, um, when, as we think about food, <clears throat> food, what we eat and what we drink, let's just grow and be strong Let's not worry too much about the details of what kind of foods that we're, we're consuming. It's naive, isn't it? Doctrine is how we know God for real. How we know the truth. How we understand him and how we live rightly. We cannot do without doctrine. Uh, it's Paul uh, in, in the New Testament who says to the Galatians in chapter 1, Actually, he's, he's furious with them because they've turned to a different gospel. They still call it the gospel. They still think it's the real gospel. But he says, you've turned to a different gospel, which is actually no gospel at all. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, the church is falling for another Jesus. Uh, and so it's not good enough just to say the word gospel or Bible or Jesus or faith or hope or church or grace or heaven or hell. We actually need to press into what, what does God say about those things from the Bible? Uh, how do we understand them from God's perspective? So Paul says to Titus, teach sound and healthy doctrine. Let it permeate all of church life. <clears throat> now, of course, Titus will do this as the public teacher. Uh, that's his role as an elder. But it's not, you'll, you'll see tonight, it's not restricted to elders. Uh, men and women across church will be engaged in this activity of teaching. And here is Paul giving Titus instructions for six groups of people in the church family. So 
lots of different kinds of people. Uh, we've got older men, younger men, older women, younger women, pastors and slaves. And so it's, I think what he's, what he's getting at, he's not covering absolutely every category, but he's saying here is, here is church life and church family. Everyone is to be taught the word of God. Everyone has a role to play in the growing of God's people. Uh, it's a bit like that African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. Paul's saying it takes a whole church to raise a child of God. We're all in this together, old and young, men and women, pastors and the people, slaves and free. Uh, so we have doctrine to teach uh, across all of church. We're a teaching church and we're disciples, adults, kids, youth, learning the word of God. But it's not just an academic exercise, it's so that we might live it out, uh, so that our lives might be radically changed. Uh, and, and did you hear, in the, in, as the Bible was read, one of the key ways it's going to be changed is that we're going to be self-controlled. Uh, there's a recurring theme throughout this chapter. Uh, he keeps saying, uh, be self-controlled. It's repeated. Uh, we're, we're to be the people who live a self-controlled life. Uh, that's in, in stark contrast to the people on the island of Crete. Uh, in chapter 1, we saw they are liars, evil brutes and lazy gluttons. Um, imagine that for a moment. There they are, that's who they are, <clears throat> and here the people of God has grown up. People have become disciples of Jesus. That speaks massively to the grace of God, doesn't it? That God was able to change them by his sheer mercy and power by his spirit to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. And it's the same for us. Uh, I reckon you, we're going to feel the same challenge for us tonight as we stand out radically from our culture. Uh, we're going to be very, very different people. Uh, because I reckon there's one word that doesn't fit our culture, and it's self-control, yeah? Uh, we live in a, in a culture that is all about excess, where excess is celebrated. Uh, it's all about me, where I am celebrated, and whether it's excess in drinking or spending or eating or holidaying or homes or career, it's not about self-control, is it? Uh, we're going to live radically different lives. Um, it, it was the case in Crete and it is the case for us as well. I heard this, uh, this study was done recently on 35 countries around the world and it's a very strange study. They... they researched the country and tried to work out how does the country go with the seven so-called deadly sins. All sins are deadly, uh, but here are the sins, pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony and sloth. Where do you think Australia came? Australia came first. <laughs> I don't know whether we should be celebrating that. It's good to come first, but not... Not in this race, right? Um, apparently, Korea beat us in lust. Uh, USA beat us in gluttony. Iceland took out gold in sloth. <laughs> um, but overall, we were number one. They said in this study that Australia is the most sinful nation in the world. And what does that say to us? That says it will only be the sheer grace and kindness of God to change us, yeah? to become disciples of Jesus. You, you won't live out these 
uh, instructions from Paul without the grace of God. We're saved by grace, we'll live by grace. But I reckon the second thing that says to us is get ready or continue to be ready to be very counter-cultural as a disciple of Jesus. If you think you can grow and have the Spirit of God work upon you and take these instructions seriously and just be like, just fit in with everyone else, uh, that won't be the case at all. You will be radically different from those around you. Well, what is, what is the teaching? How we live it out? Let's go through it. Let's uh, start with older men in verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in, and in endurance. There's a beautiful picture of uh, a gracious man, a kind man, a man of self-control and respect and faith and love and endurance, a man of maturity. Not every man who grows older becomes like that. I can think of another man, another kind of man growing up who is entitled, arrogant, who's grumpy, uh, you know those men who, after a while, and it kind of doesn't matter what age you are, but you just don't care what other people think of you. And you become incredibly self-centred. Uh, men who live for themselves because they can, that is a very ugly picture. Paul says, don't be like that. We want men who are mature, uh, men who take Jesus seriously, who live for him, uh, who are other person-centred, who who lead like Jesus, uh, they'll be the fathers, if you like, of our church family. And they'll have a very powerful influence over us. And so it's always good to have older men. Now, as you think about older, younger tonight, you'll all all want to be younger. Uh, But even in a congregation like 5pm, there are those who are just that little bit older, just that little bit more mature, who've just lived the Christian life a little bit longer and it's incredibly helpful and incredibly influential because they model the Christian faith to us all. Um, Their faith, if you like, trickles down and actually affects all of church life. It's very powerful. Uh, It's powerful, as I've thought about this week, because we're taught to be disciples of Jesus, that's true. We hear the sermon, we hear the talk, we read our Bibles, we discuss it at small group. But there's something incredibly powerful about it being caught. Uh, we learn from the Bible, but gee, it's powerful when we see it in someone's life, yeah? Um, I'm sure I've heard sermons about uh, what it means to be a worker. So I remember when I first started working as an engineer, uh, it was incredibly powerful to me. Uh, my boss was a Christian and he set such a great example of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus in the workplace. And I was very, very thankful for that. He, he had a, a great work ethic. He had a, a healthy grasp on rest. Uh, he was honest. He was faithful. Uh, He made very clear to us that that work is not your life. You're here uh, to to do your work faithfully and be paid, but you have friends and family and church family that you need to attend to, that life is bigger than work. Uh, I think it's the same with generosity. Um, 
You can hear a thousand talks from me about being generous. You can read about it in the Bible. Uh, But gee, it's powerful, isn't it, when you actually uh, are encouraged by someone who's just genuinely, from the heart, generous. Uh, we We don't often talk about how much we give financially or how much we've given up. But when you hear that from someone in in an appropriate conversation, it's very encouraging, isn't it? Because you realise, wow, they really are generous from the heart. Uh, They could live a different kind of life. They could be a whole lot more self-centred. They could have a better lifestyle, but they have generously given up for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. Uh, That speaks, speaks volumes. And I reckon it's very sad, in many churches, we have so many godly women and so many children, but so few men who are standing up for Jesus, who are, who are coming along to church. And you know what that does? It makes it really hard for, for young boys and youth to take Jesus seriously, uh, because there's no one to look up to. But I reckon it also means that that man in your life who is either your brother or your, your dad or your husband or your boyfriend who is not a follower of Jesus, I reckon what it means is they look into the church and go, yeah, exactly as I thought. Uh, church and Jesus is not for me. It's for women and it's for children. Uh, we really need men who are mature, men to look up to older men to model the faith to us. And notice down further, um, uh, well, he said lots to older men, and in verse 6 he says one word to younger men. Uh, One thing, just get a grip on this, be self-controlled. There it is. Go on, go away and think about that. But how will young men learn how to to live self-controlled lives? They'll learn it from older men. Uh, It'll be modelled to them. Well, look with me in verse 3, he goes on to talk to older women. Likewise, verse 3, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, uh, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And so, like older uh, men, older women have this crucial role in the life of church. Um, He's got two positives here and two negatives. Uh, Negatively, he doesn't want uh, older women to be mastered by their mouth, or, or the bottle. Uh, he doesn't want older women's influence to be affected uh, or to be ruined uh, by something like by a criticising tongue or by being, their mind being dulled by something addictive. Uh, he wants older women to have that good effect to encourage others. Uh, and so positively, he says, be reverent. Uh, literally, uh, the word is be fitting uh, for be fitting for the sacred or the holy. You are a holy one, live like that. And I reckon it's very obvious when you see women live this way. Uh, it's incredibly powerful. Uh, I'd say it's, it's more powerful than any sermon I could ever preach for those older women to be living a godly life, to be pointing people to Jesus and encouraging us all. Uh, let me tell you about two women in my life that have had a big impact. Uh, one is Nolene, uh, who's no longer alive, but along with her husband, she had a massive impact uh, on the church I grew up in. Uh, she was a huge part in me becoming a Christian. 
Uh, she never taught the Bible from the front, uh, from, the, from the pulpit, but she taught the Bible both with her words and her actions in a thousand ways over decades of her life. Uh, she was kind and compassionate. Uh, she was a strong woman. She was passionate about Jesus. She was passionate about others coming to know Jesus. Uh, my memory of her is that she was, she was prayerful. Uh, she, she taught me to pray. She taught many people to pray. Uh, she was a woman of the Bible. She believed God's word. She trusted God. Uh, she loved her husband. She discipled and raised her children. Uh, she was a hard-working woman. She worked in her home and she worked outside of her home. She was generous and she was hospitable. And she made a massive impact on the life of the church that I grew up in. Let me tell you about another woman, Lois. Uh, Lois is a single lady. Uh, she's older than me. She's now in her 60s. She's, uh, she's never married her whole life. Uh, she, I have fond memories of her encouraging me when I was on MTS. Um, uh, she is godly. She is wise. She's just solid in the faith. She's dependable. Uh, she's spent countless hours in ministry uh, to other women in the churches that I've been part of. Uh, she, I, I have to say, she's spent her life now uh, discipling women. My picture of her is always catching up with someone, always encouraging another woman, uh, always speaking the truth to women, always inviting people to, to investigate Jesus. She is an amazing lady uh, and she's had a, a big impact. Well, Paul goes on to say, older women teach younger women. That is, find someone to take under your wing. Uh, find someone, even here at 5pm, to take under your wing. You don't need to be old, you just need to be older. Right? Uh, make sure you understand that difference. Everyone can, can do this. There's always someone younger uh, that you can encourage. And you can do it in your own initiative. You don't need, you don't need permission from anyone. You don't need a ministry structure. Uh, you could be single or you could be married. But it's very important you do it because it will have a great impact on the life of church. He, here's what I reckon the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, if you're an older woman and you've walked the Christian life for a few years more than your sister, think carefully and prayerfully about discipling a younger woman. Uh, that's what Paul's saying here. Uh, think about the younger women that you could talk to about things that a male pastor could never talk to them about. Imagine how, much, how helpful you could be to a younger woman to grow in areas that will transform her life and transform her home. Have a look with me in verse 4. He says, Urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, uh, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. It's a beautiful part of the Bible, isn't it? God knows that for younger women who are married... Uh, which there are many uh, at Salt Church, mostly at 10am, but, but there's going to be some new mums, and there are some new mums even here tonight. Uh, God knows that many of you, and sorry, many of you will also become married, um, so it applies to you. Uh, but God knows for younger married women, life is very complex for you. 
or if you're thinking about marriage or you'll later become married, it will become more complex for you. Married women juggle lots of balls, have lots of responsibilities, and it strikes me that there are lots of voices speaking to you from culture, to to state the obvious. Lots of voices of irresponsibility, uh, of guilt, of stupidity, of distraction, of greed, of dissatisfaction, all sorts of things. And I I need to... uh, I want to say one of those voices or many of those voices are desperately cruel voices. Here's one of the voices that I hear. Uh, You need to look as good as you did before you had kids. Uh, You need to power ahead with your career and you need to win the race with men. You need to get in front of men who didn't take time out from their careers to physically give birth to a child or take time out to raise their children. Your house needs to look amazing. You need to have kids who are amazing. And isn't it lovely that God doesn't put any of those demands on you? Have a look at what God is uh, saying to you. He says your character is super important. Be self-controlled, be pure, be kind. Uh, Your family is super important. Love your husband, cooperate with him, uh, help him as he leads you in love. Pay attention to your children uh, there's that little phrase there that annoys me a little bit, that the NIV have translated this way, be busy at home. It sounds terribly chauvinistic, doesn't it? It just sounds like the 1950s, uh, but that misses the point. It's literally be a home builder. Uh, so Paul's talking in a context where women are busying themselves, not in their homes, but in other people's homes. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5, he talks about them being busybodies. Uh, don't be like that. Uh, uh, it does, it's not, he's not saying you can't work outside the home, but he's saying invest in your home. Uh, take seriously your powerful influence over the quality of the relationships in your home. Uh, that is the way God has wired you. Lean into that. And of course, that is a hard thing to do, isn't it? Our culture is pressing us in lots of, lots of directions uh, not to do these things. But how good is it to have older women to encourage you in that, uh, to walk with you in that, uh, who've been there, who are on the journey with you, maybe a little bit further, to encourage you. Um, Have a look at this book. I haven't read it, but what I hear about it, it sounds excellent. Uh, It's written by Sharon James. I think we've got to go forward a few. Thanks, Angelina. it's called God's Design for Women. I'll put it in Salt Weekly for, for us all. Um, not sure whether this is a direct quote, but this is, this is one, of, one part of the book that she comments on. Younger women with families are pressured in two different directions. One is to idolise the family. Um, so we, she talks about we all know people who their children is number one. Uh, their children are on this massively high pedestal. Uh, and the other, the other danger is, of course, to neglect the family and just pursue yourself. Just pursue self. Uh, and she's written this book to help women. How do I steer myself as a godly woman through all these complexities at the same time hearing the world shout at me that I need to be someone very different to what God wants me to be? 
Um, so I encourage you with that book. Um, last two groups of people. One is um, he speaks to elders and pastors, so he speaks directly to Titus in verse 7. Uh, he says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Uh, in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Uh, see what he's pressing into. Your character as a leader is super important. What you say, your sound doctrine is super important. You will get pushback, but let the pushback be from the word of God, not because of your behaviour, uh, not because of your character. And lastly, uh, slaves, or I think we could uh, apply this to employees. Verse 9, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything to try to please them and not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but show that they can be fully trusted. How transforming would your workplace be if every employee was like that? How awesome would it be for you as the boss to have a team where everyone is trying to please you in doing the work, uh, not talking back to you, not stealing from you, but could be fully trusted. That would make a massive difference, wouldn't it? That would, that would really shine brightly, uh, be like that. Well, let's, uh, let's finish up. Uh, why, does Paul, why does Paul say all this? Remember what we said from the beginning? There's doctrine, there's truth from God. Uh, it's, not, it's not academic, it's not just to sit on the shelf, it's there to be taught. Uh, it'll be taught throughout, throughout church. Uh, why is it taught? It's taught so that we might live it out. Our lives might be changed. Uh, and ultimately, we might live a life that's compelling, that is attractive, that people might come to Jesus. Glory might be given to God. And there's lots of um, evidence of that throughout the passage. You notice in verse 5, let's not see God's word maligned. Uh, that might happen by the way you live. Uh, in other words, let's not make it easy for our friends who are not yet disciples of Jesus to say, gee, I'm glad I'm not a Christian or I don't want to become a Christian. Let's actually make it easy for them to become Christian as they see our lives and how different they are uh, so that the word of God is not condemned. Uh, it's actually made attractive. Our lives adorn uh, the gospel that we preach. Uh, I don't know whether you realise how powerful your life is. Uh, the, we, we keep talking about, and it's absolutely true, the Word of God is powerful, the Spirit of God is powerful. But the Word of God and the Spirit of God is powerful in your life to change you and for people to see that change in your life. Uh, all week, uh, in your family, amongst your flatmates, uh, at work, you're preaching a sermon to those around you. Uh, what are you saying about who Jesus is? How will church grow? Church will grow by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, uh, by all lot, lots of different pieces. But here's a massive piece. Are these people different? Is Jesus real? Does he really change lives? Now, it strikes me that uh, it's becoming harder and harder to become Christian, uh, to, to, be, to be Christian. Uh, many of you know that far better than I do because you're in workplaces where it's harder. Uh, some of you are in difficult family situations, um, many would say that our culture is becoming darker as we move away from, from Christianity 
Um, what does that mean for us? Well, there's an opportunity to shine even more brightly, isn't there? Uh, to even more stand out from the culture that people might see how beautiful, how wonderful it is to know Jesus, to live for him uh, and want to come to him and bring glory to his name. Why don't I pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray that that would happen. Uh, we do pray that you might continue to transform us, to change us uh, to the image of Jesus. Uh, Lord, thank you that this happens by your sheer kindness and mercy. Uh, like you transformed the people of Crete, uh, like you're transforming the people of Wollongong, you've transformed us. And we pray that you might continue to do that. Uh, Lord, help us as we think into these things, uh, different areas of church life, different responsibilities, different relationships. Uh, Lord, we pray that we might cooperate with you uh, in growing your church for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is cute. This is cute. (laughs) All right. Uh, So we've got loads of questions in. I uh, might not be able to get to them all, apologies, but if you, um, if you have a burning question, please come to one of the pastors or to someone older, I guess, who can uh, help you out. Uh, I might just crack into some questions, though. Uh, first question, ooh, Michael, why are men and women <laughs> told different things? Yeah. Uh, shouldn't men also be pure and women also filled with love and patience? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and the answer, yes, they should. And I think it's... Um, uh, it's a bit like when Paul talks to elders in chapter 1, here's what I want from you, and you look through that list and you go, 95% of that applies to every Christian. 5% of it is you need to take this on as a leader. I think he's doing that with men and women. Um, interesting, though, that we ask that question, um, why are they different? Because the Bible just is, is constantly saying to us, God made them different. And so it makes perfect sense that he would have a different word to say to men, to women. So right from Genesis, uh, we're beautifully made in the image of God, but made differently. And so I think the question is, yeah, why does he say those things specifically to women? And why does he say those things specifically to young men? There's something about us that we need to hear that word particularly. Uh, so it's worth thinking about those things. Yeah, different struggles, different desires, different... Yeah. Yeah, applications. Uh, our next question. Uh, how does this passage apply for you single women without husbands and kids or single men? Does this passage mean marriage is meant to be a Christian's goal? Yeah, okay. Uh, so I think lots of it applies whether you're single or married. Um, so when he speaks about older men, older uh, women, uh, he doesn't specify their situation in life. Um, and there's, there's groups that are not even mentioned here, right? So the divorcee or the single parent. Um, uh, so I think, uh, what was the question? What, how do they contribute? Is it one uh, so I think when it, when it talks about older women, you know, it, it, those things can... Uh, apply to single people, of course, as it applies to married people. Uh, Even when he talks to older women to encourage younger women in there who are married, um, I think single 
people can do that as well. And I think they, they want to be doing that. Um, how do I, you know, how does an older single woman encourage a younger uh, married woman? Uh, was exactly what Paul said. You need to, I need to help you to love your husband um, and all, that, you know, all those kind of things that you're wrestling with. Uh, that's what it means to love and disciple. Uh, I think uh, it's not in this passage, but as single peoples, um, there's different opportunities that you have. Um, so Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, marriage is not for everyone. Uh, singleness is not for everyone. It's a gift from God. Uh, it's not the goal. That's the second part of the question. The goal is holiness, uh, pleasing God in, in all of life uh, by being holy. That's what's important, whether you're single or married. Ultimately, as a Christian, you're married to Christ. That's the, the big marriage, of which the human marriage is temporary uh, and points to that, that one. Uh, but as a single person, you've got, there are some advantages, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Um, it's worth reflecting on that chapter. Uh, you don't, he says, I want to spare you of trouble in this life. Uh, you know, often marriage and couples are seen, isn't it everything wonderful? Well, it's not always wonderful, and there are complexities uh, and difficulties in marriage that you don't have as a single person. And then the second thing he says um, is, is a single, you have a single focus as a single person. Uh, the, the married person needs to be focused on Jesus, but they do have that responsibility to their spouse. Um, so I think there are, there are extra responsibilities, um, opportunities uh, for single people that we want to encourage our, our singles to be part of in mm. church life. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, when Laura and I were thinking of getting married, the thing people kept telling us was that you want someone who will point you to Jesus because that's the goal of all of life. Yep. Whether you're single or married. That's right. You're yep. always looking towards Jesus. Yep. Uh, yep. So did we answer the second part? I think so. Is it yeah. Marriage yeah. the goal. Yeah. yeah, marriage is not the goal. No. Other than marriage to Christ. Yeah. 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 How does uh, being subject to your husband apply to contemporary society where different genders are more equal? Should husbands submit to their wives as well? Yeah. Uh, so there's something implied in that question that you're not being treated equal if you submit to someone. And the Bible wants to always say, no, no, it's not a question of equality. It's not a question that you're less of a person because you submit. Uh, so that's true of husband and wife, you know, right from Genesis, made in the image of God. Equality is unquestionable, uh, but there's an order in the relationship. Um, so it's interesting, Ephesians 5, Paul, he doesn't interchange them. He says to husbands, I want you to lead and love your wife like Christ loved the church. Lay down your life for her, be sacrificial for her, and wives, I want you to submit to that love. Now, it's a bit like the previous question. Does that mean the wife never sacrifices for the husband? No. Does that mean that the husband never submits to his wife? No. But there's the character, the pattern that he set in, uh, for marriage. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, huge. Uh, it has to do with our, our second question here. If wives are subject to their husbands, mm. does that mean their husband can tell them what to do mm. and they have to obey? It doesn't sound... Very safe. Yeah, oh, it's, that wouldn't be safe at all. So this, this word um, subject, uh, the word submission, it's actually translated um, voluntary submission, willful submission. Um, so it's, it's 
it comes from the wife who willingly submits herself to her husband. Uh, it never comes from the husband saying, you must submit to me. That's, incre- that's a very important difference. Um, so we need to speak against husbands who would say, you must submit to me. You must, and, and then there's another piece there too, isn't it, that somehow submission means that you must always obey. No, you obey Jesus, uh, and the way uh, husbands are to lead is to lead like Jesus, uh, not domineering, uh, not self-centred, uh, but gentle, loving, sacrificial. Uh, so I think that changes the whole character of how, how you lead and submit. I um, uh, used to know someone who, looking through these passages, would say men are supposed to lead like Jesus in laying down their lives for the church as Jesus does. And so if you die in the service of your wife, you're not Superman. You're just doing your job. Sure. And That's right. for a wife to submit to someone like that, I think, is an easy That's thing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we often use the, the Superman illustration, isn't it? Would you take a bullet for your wife? And I, I hope you'd say Yes. But it's just so much more in the smaller things of life, isn't it? Uh, will you wash up for your wife? Uh, you know, will you consider your wife? Um, uh, hit, hit some raw nerves here. <laughs> um, will you consider your wife in all of life for a lifetime? Will you give up things for your wife? Like, that's yeah. where it really matters, isn't it? Because yeah, you're person. unlikely to hit, have the bullet. Yeah. This person, um, their example was a husband lovingly saying, Darling, I know you love Downton Abbey. Can we watch that tonight? And the wife lovingly submitting by saying, Yes, of course we can watch Downton Abbey tonight. I love Downton Abbey. (laughs) (laughs) It's very easy to submit in that sense. That's right. Uh, uh, But this all really sounds quite hard. Self-control is really difficult. It is. Um, Where does power like this come from? Yeah, so I only spoke briefly on it tonight, but next week we'll talk into the next, next few verses from verse 11. It's the grace of God that fuels us. So we're saved by the grace, the kindness of God. Uh, and how do we keep living for Jesus, being shaped by him? It's the grace of God. Mm. And we've got to keep remembering that. It's not try harder, it's not our strength, it's God's grace. And it has to be that way, doesn't it? Because mm. you look at that list and you go, I keep failing and... It's only by God's power and by God's grace that I'm going to make any uh, movement forward. Mm. So, yeah, more on that next week. Yeah, amen. Thanks, Michael. I'll leave it there. Okay.